turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to the Heart of Innovation, 60 minutes that can save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org, in partnership with Cardiovascular System Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. If you have a cough, fever, chills, a doctor would likely diagnose you with the flu, right? How do they know that? Okay, I know it seems obvious, but let's get to the fundamentals, the foundation of medicine. It really is based on a treatment algorithm. Physicians are trained to use decision-making trees when treating patients. The step-by-step flowcharts are known as treatment algorithms. For most well-known disorders, treatment algorithms are standardized across the healthcare system to ensure equitable treatment. But treatment algorithms in some cases need to be loosely followed in case a patient's presentation of disease varies just from the standard. Some algorithms may differ depending on the doctor. However, because of access to newer cutting-edge tools and techniques, you know, it may differ based on their continuing education as well. And that's really what we're going to discuss today, the gaps in these varying treatment algorithms. And that, along with the critical questions that you as a patient should ask your doctor to reveal their treatment algorithm and ultimately determine if their treatment algorithm is right for you or whether someone else's might be a better fit. So, yes, we're going to get to that in just a moment. We have a call-in number in case you have questions, insight to share, a story to share. The number is 1-888-367-5329, 1-888-367-5329. We have Dr. Kumar Matasari from Rush Hospital in Chicago with us today as a guest. Hey, doctor. Hey, how are you? Good. And of course, my co-host, Dr. John Phillips from Ohio Health over in Columbus, Ohio, here today. Both of you guys are on call. (laughs) (laughs) I think that we need to have people call in to to vote to see who they think is going to last the longest before an emergency comes in. (laughs) I think it'll be me, Kimberly. I'll pull pull my money on John. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. So I think before we get started into the topic of the day, I think it's time for a little moment of inspiration for the day. Dr. John Phillips, spectacular vascular moment of inspiration. Ah, that never that never gets old, Kim. That really that just. Oh, it's Dr. Medisary as a peer. What did you think the, of that? The hairs on the back so of my neck always stand up. I love it. I'm so I'm so excited for this. <laughs> so you know, I spent a, I spent some time thinking about this in light of the topic 
of today's show, which is kind of, you know, treatment algorithms. And I think a lot of what we do, Dr. Matisari and myself, uh, we, we are curious people and we see patients that have, you know, various disease processes. And yeah, in some respects, there are algorithms that we can use, but a lot of times we have to kind of think out, outside the box. So I thought, all right, who's a great thinker in the you know 20th century? And I, obviously Albert Einstein, right? So I got two quotes from Einstein, one of which was anyone who has never made a mistake has never tried anything new. Okay. So, you know, for example, a lot of times when we're, when we're trying to help somebody, we kind of have to try something new and we, you know, you, you hope it works. And then the other quote that I have is that a clever person solves a problem and a wise person avoids it. So <laughs> that's a, you know, I think I, I just got back from doing a fellows course and Kumar's done these and, you know, you're trying to, give some knowledge to, to these fellows who are in training, they're not yet attending and, and they haven't been uh, released into the wild, so to speak. And, uh, you know, there's also that saying too, that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So yes, we teach them what to do, but we're also teaching them what not to do. And so I thought those were two good quotes. I think that'll get the ball rolling for the show. Uh, excited about the topic. I've just spent some time actually looking at these treatment algorithms in some of the patients that we treat at Ohio Health, particularly with peripheral arterial disease. So I'm excited to uh, hear what Dr. Matasari has to say and, and kind of get the ball rolling. Yeah, Dr. Oh. Matasari, you know, when it comes to these treatment algorithms and, and working with the fellows, we, we, both, we all three of us actually attended the Viva conference, which is a vascular conference that was held in in Las Vegas this year. I actually think it's in Las Vegas every year. Um, but, you know, it, that's where they were really talking about these treatment algorithms. And, you know, each, while you might have a standard in healthcare, and really when it comes to PAD, there's so much, which is that chronic circulatory issue that we always talk about that affects mainly the leg arteries. Um, when that plaque builds up, it causes restricted blood flow. Um, but, there's still so much innovation happening in this space that your algorithm has to continually change based on new innovation in tools and techniques, correct? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think what's interesting is when we go to these meetings and we're all lucky to be able to go back in person and see people from around the world and hear about what each of us are doing and hear about new trials. You know, what's interesting, I know John can probably relate to this is that Technology, unfortunately, outpaces any kind of uh, data or long-term understanding we have of things. So it's kind of on us to figure out where and when to use these new technologies and techniques and how to do it. Because at the end of the day, uh, we kind of have to be the advocate and kind of the safety net for all the patients out there. So it gets a little cumbersome when you're creating these algorithms that you guys are talking about. Because where does each of these new things and these new exciting, well-marketed technologies fit into there? So I think it's... Uh, the nice thing about the meetings is that we can actually sit down with each other and say, hey, what are you really seeing? What do you think about this? Here's what I'm seeing and really have a, a one-to-one, which even in the virtual world, that's great. But sometimes it's great to have a little personal conversation and really understand it. So for me, uh, adapting these algorithms with the technology is, is kind of the hard part because we want to try everything. We like somebody else said, this is great. We should try it. But it, I'm responsible for whatever I do. John's responsible for whatever he does. So uh, the algorithm gets very difficult, but I'm excited about some of the new things um, that we're learning about in terms of data and how to apply some of these tools. So that's where we're at right now. And the meeting was kind of interesting in that regard. 
And so when it comes to the the foundation, you're even working with these fellows. Well, I mean, when you're in school, you're in medical school, you need to have some sort of foundation, right? You need to have when you have X, Y, or Z, it equals P. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, the world of how we learn today is much different than how, uh, you know, I learned in medical school. Uh, everything's at your fingertips. And so uh, I, I feel I find that the students and, and the fellows that we teach, um, I don't know that they're memorizing as much as, as we were memorizing because it's at that's at you know, you can get it instantaneously. And actually, that was one of Einstein's quotes, too. He said, don't memorize anything you can look up <laughs> quickly. Um, so I, I think this is going to be a great conversation. Um, when we get back from the break, we're going to continue, I think, how looking at how we all develop as, as thinkers uh, in, in the medical field and how we apply that knowledge to, to our patients. So we'll be right back. Stay with us. Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease, or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including Cardiovascular System's Diamondback 360 Atherectomy System, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. We are talking about treatment algorithms. You know, if X, then Y. If you present with X symptom, then why is the treatment? It, when you are teaching people, especially soon to be doctors, right? You have to have some sort of step-by-step flow chart or a tree or a treatment algorithm that helps provides a foundation for getting people launched into their medical career. The problem that I see is when you, you know, progress in your career 40, 50 years down the line and you're still following that same tree, Despite innovation in tools and techniques, I look at that as as it being a little bit of a problem. What do you What do you guys have to say? I mean, do you face doctors? I know I still face doctors that still tell me, "Hey, this is what I learned in school." Yeah, you know, I think I think we face this every day, even in our own work environments. Not even like outside the community, we see it in our own hospitals. Sometimes, depending on your practice, your own colleagues. And that's kind of because of the way the system is. You know, we spend 13, 20 years in this process to get there. And somewhere along the way, no one took the time in training or once you show an example of, hey, this is all patient-tailored medicine. We have to work together. That's not, unfortunately, part of the milieu of it. But some of us are lucky enough to work together and, and open up doors and try to talk together in some of these collaborative meetings. Or people are even starting to work together in business models for medicine 
where they're starting to learn and share and say, hey, what can we do for this patient? There's not going to be one algorithm for every patient, but right. you know, just like we tell patients get a second and third opinion as physicians, I have no problem getting a second opinion from John, from somebody else. Say, hey, what would you do here? And I think we have to change the mindset as physicians. We haven't done a good job just yet. Yeah. yeah and I'll, I'll, I'll just dovetail on that. I mean, a, a lot of us, we, we want kind of cookie cutter pathways to some degree. I mean, you want to take the path of least resistance when you're, when you're doing a procedure or approaching a disease process, but, but, you know, patients aren't airplanes. Um, you know, every pilot, I'm not a pilot, but I know some, they go through a specific checklist before every flight and they don't miss it because human error occurs. We like to have those checklists too, but you also have to kind of adapt your algorithm and, and everybody is different and there's not one size fits all. The thing that I worry about in, in medicine, the way education is going right now, and this is just my opinion, there are people that follow these algorithms and then, you know, when they get to a fork in a road and there's their algorithm stop, but yet they're keep, there's a fork there, they don't know what to do. So that's, I think, the benefit of engaging with other physicians, going to conferences, learning new techniques, and just being curious. Like, like Einstein said, you know, you have to be clever and curious, but you also have to be wise to avoid problems, right? I will also say that, uh, and this is kind of the unwritten or untold story. It's like the NBA inside stuff or something. Is that, you know, the, the, the hospitals and societies that we're all part of aren't built to foster this for us as physicians. So it takes us to kind of separate, you know, when you're in a hospital system, it's all about what's the bottom line. What are you doing? What is your section doing? It's not about what are we doing as a whole? And I think that's where some of us struggle day to day, or we try to find other ways to do it for patients. And then our societies are an individual society. It's not saying here's the human society. It's the vascular surgery society, the IRS. I, so, you know, a lot of us have to figure out ways on our own uh, collaboratively or just with open discussions to do better for our patients. And nurse practitioner Kay is actually here. Yeah, I mean, there has been protocols set down from the day dot and analogs that are followed. But then you get a patient that doesn't fit in. And when the patient doesn't fit in, a lot of the doctors are stumped. And I've been there and done this one because there's a business model and everybody tries to follow the business model because let's face it, healthcare is business. Um, there's pharmacy protocols about what drugs they have to give out and what you can and cannot do and what's best to use first. And you have to work your way up the chain before you can justify using the most expensive drugs. But the one thing is when somebody comes in that's different, the doctors are stumped. And I have three or four different core morbidities. So I, I'm, I'm the odd one out. I'm the, the type A patient that causes all the problems. And when I walk into a hospital, they panic. And they just, every protocol goes out the window. And there has to be a way like yourselves that you can adjust, that you can understand, and that you're continuing, continually learning in order to be able to treat that class A patient who's going to come in and turn everything upside down. And I'm finding more and more of our patients have autoimmune diseases, they have diabetes, they have this, they have that, and they're not fitting into the paradigm that is PAD. Well, right. I mean, make no mistake. Uh, we see patients that are very complex. They have lots of uh, medical problems, comorbidities, and they all don't fit into the, I always, I always say, you know, not everybody reads our textbooks as to how to present with X, Y, and Z. Protocols are great. 
because they save lives and, and you and like again it's a checklist you make sure everything's working before you you know put that plane in the air and that's the same thing that we we try to do as well but you also have to be willing to adapt and change how you treat a patient uh and 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 the other thing too that i noticed and kumar i'd like your opinion I check my ego at the door, frankly, when I'm kind of doing something. I have no qualms about calling in a partner or asking for help uh, because I see docs get in trouble who their their ego doesn't fit in the in their office, let alone, um, you know, the cath lab sometimes. And, and they get into trouble because they're just unwilling to ask for help. So you have to I call it kind of humble confidence. Right. And, 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 and you have to be humble. You also have to be confident in what you're doing. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think, uh, you know, when you have trainees, I tell them every time, the moment you get confident or too, sorry, too confident or your ego builds up is when life's going to give you a little punch. Um, you know, I try to remind them and I, I live by this is like, this is a privilege of what we do. Um, not many people, not about the doctor part, but just being able to take somebody at a vulnerable situation and try to do something to make their life better. That's not very many people get to do that. It's hard to impart that nowadays on the trainees. And I see it as a generational thing. But the best you can do is lead by example. And I do see generationally the colleagues of other specialties willing to talk together more than I've seen before. And John, you may have seen that too uh, in the recent years. So I think we have an opportunity there. But while we work on that on our side, I think we have to keep arming patients with the most amount of information to demand the best for themselves. And in the last couple of minutes, you actually paved the way very nicely, Dr. Medicare, about this is what are some of the things that patients can do that they can ask in order to determine if their doctor is the type of doctor that is literally using the flow chart they got in medical school, or it's evolved into something that is going to include their individual presentation of disease and, and help them with a customized approach uh, that might be best for them, not necessarily for a standard going forward. I, you know, for me, it's, it's simple. The patients that ask questions, uh, you know, an, Early on, you're, I'll, and this is me, but I think to myself, hmm, what, what, why are they asking so many questions? Because I'm not used to them asking. Most patients, you know, think physicians are infallible and they will, you know, if you tell that patient to jump off a cliff, they'll sometimes do that. And that's totally the wrong way to approach a physician-patient uh, relationship. But the more patients become armed with information and, you know, Dr. Google's great and everything, but there's a lot of misinformation out there. But I think... For me, it's a patient that starts asking questions that are specific about their disease process that gets me thinking like, okay, this person's engaged and they, they want to make sure I'm on my A game. And uh, they'll, they've looked me up and they'll, they'll find, if I'm not the right doc, they'll find somebody who is. Final thoughts, Dr. Mattisari? Totally agree. I think asking the questions uh, lets me know the patient's coming well, right? I mean, your way to the heart, all these groups learning about the different tools in PAD, you know, the DVA, the shockwave, what's your amputation rate, there's an amputation survival rate. When patients ask those questions, it's a different ballgame. And we understand that they're coming in ready to uh, take care of themselves because really the patient and their family are the best advocate. Um, so I think using the information out there, asking questions, it's, it's, it's your body, not anybody else's. But it's always a red flag if the doctor doesn't want to spend the time answering your questions or at least providing a nurse practitioner that's on his team or her team to come in and spend more time. I, I think that that is a red flag and it's time to seek a second, even third, maybe even a fourth opinion. The Heart of Innovation will be right back. Stay with us. 
ago, my symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking. Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me. Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine. My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal. Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup mainly in the leg arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg. But that does not have to happen to you. No, it does not, because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. PAD, peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking, and your doctor isn't hearing you, we are. We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients. And we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.org or call our Legsaver hotline, 415-320-7138. Your life and limb could depend on it. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. And Kim, what time is it? It is Save My Piggies time. That's right. (laughs) It's time for our... My favorite segment, Save My Piggies. This is our segment that is devoted to patient advocacy, and it allows patients and their families to tell their medical story. Oftentimes, we're discussing vascular issues, and today is is no different. We are super stoked to have Amy uh, with us. Recording as well as in progress. Husband, as well as her husband, uh, John. Um, and, and actually, I'm going to do this one a little bit differently. Kay, you have a, a, a pretty close uh, and intimate relationship with Amy and John. So I'm going to let you uh, start the Save My Piggy segment. Oh, thank you. Um, I honestly, I am honored. So thank you. Amy and I were introduced by Kim um, because Amy had started to advocate for her husband. And she felt that what she was being asked to do by her particular vascular surgeon um was not the answer. And she was looking for an alternative route for her husband. And basically what she was told that because her husband had fallen, he'd had a TMA, he'd fallen over, the TMA had opened. What's and, the, 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 so he had an amputation? Yes. Is that right? Okay. So his toes were gone. So it's not exactly a save my piggies, but it's a save. It's, it's got a good ending. All right, good. So, Thanks. I'm getting, I'm getting worried there, Kay. No, don't panic. So it had a TMA. The TMA had um, opened up. It had became slightly infected. The vascular surgeon just said, bring him in. You'll have to have a further amputation. And as you know, at that stage, you're either looking at a void, a thymine, and there's not a lot of doctors that can do that, or you're looking at a BKA. So Amy, which is a below the knee, a lot of the, the folks watching don't know the acronym. So BKA, below the knee amputation. So a TMA is a transmetatarsal amputation, taking off just basically the toes, and then they can progress further down the foot and ultimately um, below the knee amputation then is, is next. 
So, Amy, I'm going to throw to you because obviously we got to know each other. And um, tell me why you went looking for alternative care. Um, well, my husband had had six surgeries in 90 days. And it was beginning excessive because he wasn't getting any better. He was only getting worse and the pain was outrageous. Um, he was swelling in his legs really bad. And I'd never seen his legs swell. And so I started researching and researching and researching because the, the hospital that he was in said that he was being treated by the the world, the country's best. And nothing, whatever I did wasn't going to any better they told him basically that um when he was released just to go home and hope for the best and to me that wasn't acceptable because i'm a prayer warrior number one and number two there's always somebody better and i believe that and so i, I like the way you mean. thank you and so i just continued to just research 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 and you guys i just want to say just real fast i love you all you guys are the reason that my husband is here today alive. I don't believe he would have made it home. I believe I would have lost him if it would not have been for every comment, every post, every person in this group. It helped me. So, Amy, yeah. if I can ask a question, because we, we talk about this every week. And give us a little bit of insight in, into what, like, Kay and Kim did for you. I mean, it was were they just a sounding board for... Uh, you know, your concerns and questions. I mean, was there, did they visit, not physically, but kind of direct you in, into the, the right spot with looking for another physician? Sounds like it was obviously pretty important, but just share a little bit with that if you can. They did. They did. Um, I had messaged, um, my husband had uh, a pinky toe amputated first and we were having problems then, but we thought, well, it's just the, the pinky toe, what they had said, you know, it's just the pinky toe. Everything is fine. And so I started researching slowly, thinking I'm, he's going to be good. He's going to be okay. And then I found this group, and I had commented to a lady that had recently had the same surgery that my husband had had. And Kim had messaged to get a hold of Dr. Natarajan. And so I did. Um, but by that time, my husband had lost um, all of the toes and half of the foot, I guess the TMA. You know, and, uh, the transmetatarsal. Yeah. And when I got a hold of him, he was just amazing. He said, we need to get him down here now. And yeah, they were in Indianapolis. That's where Dr. Natarajan is. And what was that, like two and a half hours, three hours away? Yeah. Yeah. He At that time, my husband was in Fort Wayne at a hospital in Fort Wayne. He left the Fort Wayne hospital and went directly to Indianapolis. Like he checked out and was like there, you know, because we had no hope. And I just, I had a feeling that the, the swelling, the pain, I had a feeling that it wasn't going to be a good outcome. I sat up in my bed that morning before I had heard from Dr. Natarajan to come down there. And I said, Lord, please don't make me a widow at 47. And I know within 15 minutes, I received a text at like 530 or 6 in the morning from Dr. Natarajan. And he said, I will be in contact with you. And that next day, we had him down there. And he had my husband out of pain after the surgery. He'd had this done two times. The, the artery surgery he had done um, June, July, and in August is when Dr. Natarajan did the procedure that they said couldn't be done. They said there was no hope. He's with us now, and he'll be coming up and joining you shortly. 
Oh, good. Yeah, so yeah, stay right with us. You don't want to miss. Yes, you don't want to miss this conversation as Dr. Natarajan um, has a live conversation with the wife and the patient he saved. So stay with us. Don't go away. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Dr. David Alper, and I'm here once again with the weightonmyheart.org's footnotes. And today we're going to talk about plantar fasciitis. Why are we talking about plantar fasciitis? Well, it's an extremely common, painful problem that many, many people have. But it's important to know from the get-go that this is a mechanical problem, having nothing to do with circulation or with diabetes. It is caused by the way that you walk, the type of shoes you wear, and the activities you do. And especially if you stand flat-footed, if you have a very rigid foot, or if you're on your feet for an extended periods of time. What causes it? It is an inflammation of the thick fibrous band along the bottom of your foot called the plantar fascia, which you can see very easily by pushing your toes back and just putting with your thumb in, feeling a bounce. This is the shock absorber of the foot, so when you step down, you're supposed to bounce when you walk. If, in fact, it's not supported properly or you're on your feet too much, it pulls too much on the back of the heel, causing inflammation and eventually can cause pain. So what can we do about this? The first thing you want to do is you want to take a bottle and fill it with water and put it in the freezer. This makes an ice rolling pin, and several times a day you put it on the ground and you roll your foot over it. This is a natural shape that will stretch the plantar fascia passively and at the same time ice it down to calm it down. You want to make sure that you check your shoes. No barefoot. It's very important that you have support. And that's why something like this is almost the same as barefoot. There's no support inside. It's hard on the bottom and there's no back. This is the way to go, either a sneaker or a good supportive shoe that's going to hold the foot in the proper position. And when you go to the podiatrist, they sometimes will give you an arch support to bring the floor up to the foot in order to fill in the space and not allow the plantar fascia to stretch. Sometimes a recommendation for a steroid or cortisone injection will happen. Do not be afraid of this. Yes, it's a little uncomfortable, short-term pain, very much long-term gain because it will calm down the tissues. Once it's calmed down, you wear the inserts if it's appropriate, you make sure the shoes are not worn down properly, and you wear them all the time, and you should be able to be active as much as you want to. For further information, reach out to the American Podiatric Medical Association at APMA.org or the way to my heart at thewaytomyheart.org. This is Dr. David Alper, and we'll see you again for footnotes. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We're continuing our Save My Piggies segment. And just before the break, we were joined by Dr. Nandarajan, uh, who helped uh, save John's John's leg. And so, Doctor, just share with us. So Amy had shared then said that, uh, you know, they at the place they were at, he had already lost his piggies, unfortunately. But now they were talking about potentially taking the leg because there was really nothing that could be done. In the conversation in, in the segments before on the show here, we were talking about treatment algorithms and, and kind of pushing the envelope a little bit. What is it that you saw that said, well, maybe there is something that can be done and I'm, I'm going to maybe think outside the box or think in the box, but I'm going to do something to see if I can help this gentleman. I, I feel like um, for, for these patients, uh, sometimes there's not a lot of options, but um, not trying anything 
I think there, there's no advantage to that. I, I feel like giving up on them and they get an amputation, you can't go back. Once you've had an amputation, that's it. So I feel no harm in trying to, to, to do limb salvage, uh, improve the blood flow, uh, as long as you can do it safely, not not uh, endanger the patient's life, I, I believe that it's worth trying. It's you know I can't imagine when it would be inappropriate to try to save somebody's limb, uh, as long as it can be done safely. And nowadays with technology, we do have a lot of options. Truth is, uh, and I've been doing this twenty five plus years, and we have a lot more options today than we did twenty five years ago. And, and I and- think. And, and Kumar, you know, you know, I just hear what your thoughts are, but the way I approach it is the same way, right? These folks, it's a safe procedure. I mean, the mortality of me doing the procedure is very low. So the death rate is very low of me doing the procedure. So in my mind, I'm like, I have nothing to lose here. I'm going to try. Yeah. And if I fail, okay, I failed. They're destined for a BKA. They're going to lose their leg anyway. So why not, why not, uh, you know, give it a shot? Uh, Kumar, do you find that physicians yeah, just aren't a, are just afraid to, to think that way or they're they just don't want to uh, you know maybe tackle something that's a little that that is just maybe too complex for them i think the way that we do it and the way that we're trained it's almost like if you didn't succeed you don't want anybody else to know you failed and i think that's the wrong approach that um people that people have been ingrained with i think a lot of us have learned that hey i failed this time but that doesn't mean we can't come up with another approach or talk to somebody else or send to somebody else so i think it's it's more about the mindset but a lot of physicians we all know this a lot of the patients i get are the same story saying we were told there's nothing else left and that nothing can be done or should be done and the way we do it is such minimally invasive yes you know there are random events that can happen just by you know the numbers game but by and by and large what i'm sure dr Natarajan did um that's how everyone should be. It's just not the same way everyone's experiences, their tools, techniques might be a little different, but asking for help should not be the limitation. And things like DVA and stuff, that's what we need to get everybody involved in to, to have everybody get those options. Amy, you look as if you're teeing up a wee bit when you're talking with Dr. Natarajan. John, how are you feeling as well? I, I, feel, I feel good. And I feel, I, I, like I said, I, I'm thankful for you and Kay and, and how you guys reached out. That's Kim. Sorry, he didn't know. Just call us case, the two case. We're okay, just a special case. I'm thankful for Dr. Roger for getting me out of this pain and and actually saving my leg, like just save my limb, you know. Do you know we we used um I used my good old fashioned cure, John. I used Manuka honey and mm-hmm. I used soft bandages and um, there was some slough in there and Amy was syringing in some hydrogen peroxide, just 0.3%. And we cleaned out the wound. She's done, she deserves a job as a nurse. What? She's done the most amazing job. And the wound is almost to surface yeah. um, and it's just about ready for closing. Um, I told her to ask her podiatrist for some fish skin and he said, I don't know who this lady's right but she's spot on on the fishkin yes. <laughs> no Kay, Kay we're going to worry if you recommend scotch I'm working on that it's a good cleansing agent so I am working on that um, but basically Amy has taken this wound from being wide open and full of slough to now being closed and with the help of Dr Natarajan getting it revascularized, John has now got a life to live and one hundred percent. I am emotional for you. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to be treat 
to treat you and to see how John's wound has progressed. But none of this would have been possible if it hadn't been for the fact that you'd got him out of that hospital and you got him to Dr. Natasha, without a doubt. Yeah. And I had called and real quick, I had called um, because we we are so far away. When my husband had his post-op appointment, I had called Dr. Natarajan's office to see if we get it later because we're so far. And um, I talked to the nurse, uh, Jennifer, I believe is her name. Yes. She was the nicest, sweetest lady. And she said, I feel concerned about because from the pinky on, it was always about the leg was always brought up. Kind of like we're gunning for that leg. You know, that's how I felt. Yeah. She said, if they ever mention surgery again, you call here. And so that's how I called. That's why I called, you know, I, because I thought, well, I'm going to trust whoever Dr. Nadaraki says because he's got us winning right now. And it could have been the other way around, you know. But that's how I and knew it. was it. amazing because yeah. when you said that you're the doctor had mentioned surgery again and I texted Dr. Natarajan. Dr. Rajan was basically over my dead body. And this was a weekend, I believe. And you guys got back in touch. Yeah. I mean, talk about the exhausting all efforts and caring so much about patients. Right, Dr. Natarajan? I mean, that's amazing. That They're not just your patients nine to five during the day. You truly care about them as humans. I I do. Okay. Okay. I mean, the truth is there are a lot of folks out there the care like you or lots of physicians in at our hospital. It's not just me. We have a whole team of folks that take care of these patients. There's my partners that do similar work. I do I have uh, surgeons that are part of our group that do the same work, the podiatrists, wound care doctors. We really have a good team uh, that, that helps these patients. Uh, my, my hope for the future for our patients is that people stand up for them like Amy did for her husband, and ask for a second opinion. Don't settle for the first physician that says, this is it, you need an amputation. I feel like for cancer, people frequently get a second opinion, right? Somebody says nothing to do, they'll go to MD Anderson, they'll go to Cleveland Clinic. But when it comes to limb salvage, for some reason, uh, we're not educating the public enough to, to ask for the second opinion. I think if it gets to that, there are plenty of docs that care like we do and and people like you, Kim, and we just need to educate people. I feel like we should be educating people to ask for that second opinion. Don't settle for the first and and keep fighting. Fantastic. And we'll have final thoughts coming up in just a moment right here on The Heart of Innovation. Medical Notepad, brought to you by The Way to My Heart, in partnership with Cardiovascular Systems Incorporated's advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Always, always, always get a second opinion. Hi, I'm Kim McNicholas with this week's Medical Notepad. Different doctors have different treatment options available for treating peripheral artery disease, or PAD, which is a chronic circulatory issue that impacts mainly the legs. Their treatment options may vary based on the type of facility, access to cutting-edge tools, philosophy, and choice of continuing education credits. Just because you like and you trust your doctor or they work in a big-name facility, have a big title, speak all over the world, or have a large number of publications under their belt, 
it doesn't mean that they have the right treatment option or the most advanced treatment option for your presentation of disease. But I guarantee you, they will all tell you their option is what is best for you. Yes, they do mean well. I promise you that. But they just may not know what they don't know. And what they may not know is there are newer, minimally invasive procedures that may avoid an invasive bypass, especially an axillobifemoral bypass, which leaves patients with few life and limb-saving options if, in fact, it does fail. Many doctors are so busy treating patients that unless they attend the most advanced conferences or even the most advanced sessions at those conferences, they may not know a newer, minimally invasive treatment option may even exist. You have to take your health into your own hands and explore all of the available options as innovation in the treatment of PAD is moving at the speed of light. Four different disciplines treat PAD. Vascular surgeons, interventional cardiologists, interventional radiologists, and vascular medicine doctors. Go ahead and cross practices and see how each of their approaches may differ. Then you can decide what approach feels best for you. And don't worry about their feelings. Doctors have plenty of patience to keep them busy. And if they do make you feel bad about getting a second opinion, well, that's a red flag in and of itself. It's your life and your limb on the line. Get a second, get a third, get even a fourth opinion. And go to thewaytomyheart.org to find the right questions to ask each vascular specialist in order to determine if they're on the cutting edge of treating PAD. Just in case a regimented walking program and other lifestyle modifications don't improve your symptoms. With this week's Medical Notepad, I'm Kim McNicholas. Medical Notepad is brought to you by The Way to My Heart in partnership with Cardiovascular Systems Incorporated's advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Remember that the advice and views offered are for educational and informational purposes only. Do not act on any information provided here without the explicit consent of your own healthcare team. For more PAD education, go to standagainstamputation.com. And for real-time support, go to thewaytomyheart.org. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Thanks, everybody. We're wrapping up the show. We have about four minutes left, so we want to get to our guests, Amy and John. 30 seconds here. Give us one um, kind of inspirational statement that you can make to, to our listeners about you know, kind of your experience going from having no options to, you know, John obviously keeping his, his leg in his life. Well, well, this is number one. I'm, I'm a very old school, very stubborn guy. I'm, I'm an honest guy. And I take people at their word. So, you know, I take a doctor at his word. like I take a lawyer at his word because, you know, I think that they know best. Okay. But it was my wife that I, I love so much who looked it out the box and said, you know, because it wouldn't have been me. I would have went on with the process until I wouldn't have had a leg. I wouldn't know how to reach out because I'm not savvy with the with all this technology it is, it is today. 
And like I said, if it weren't for her reaching out to the, to the ghost people, because I was skeptical of the, uh, Kim and Kay. I these, are, these are not my doctors. These are not people that I'm 58 that I've ever listened to. I don't listen. To, I listen to. I was thinking in my mind, this is who I need to listen to, really, at all this time. I need to listen to this doctor who I, you know, who I know of, not the people that I, I don't, I didn't know. I, I'm not the out-of-the-box person. I'm just an ongoing, hardworking person that just goes straight down the, down the line. And I'm honest, and I think everybody is honest like me, but they're not, you see. And I, uh, just like I said, I, I want to thank the two Kims. I want to thank this doctor here, Kim and Kay, this doctor here who was to save something, who give me the options. I had I had no options uh, all this time that I've been in pain. I had no, no doctor gave me that one option of what I could do or what I couldn't do. Dr. Natarajan? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I think the key is, uh, in this day and age, there are lots of uh, minimally invasive ways of treating this disease. Most patients have options. You just have to reach out, keep reaching out until you find uh, somebody that's able to, to um, fix this for you. So again, just remember there are options out there. Don't give up. And I'm curious uh, from John, you know, really quickly, um, there are a lot of young men out there like you who are old school that do believe to say yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. To the doctor, to the person in charge. Based on your learnings, what would you can, can you convince them right now in 30 seconds to change their mind as you did and to have hope and to get a second opinion? Oh, that's a hard one. Jamie? <laughs> <laughs> I could just, just, just tell them just to, you know, well, we can't see it. You can't. If, if you think somebody is smart and smarter than you, you're just going to tend to just. That's that just, way, but you don't I, I always don't, need to lean that way. I mean, that's that's all I knew of. You know, you're smarter than me. You, I, I think that you know best. You know best. You know, I never, I never would question anybody that was an authority like that over me. You know, they had more smarts. You know, like and, and just, I just never would question them, and, it, and that gave them the opportunity just to take advantage of me because even in my life, because I just, you know, I just wouldn't. I don't know. Never lose. You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Our mission is to help patients live a better quality of life through comprehensive education, real-time support, and high-touch advocacy in partnership with thewaytomyheart.org and take a stand against amputation. Our purpose is to reduce the 1.5 million heart attacks and strokes and nearly 200,000 amputations annually. For more information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. The Heart of Innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room.